And so today's message is, it's not from a hero. It's not from a godly man. It's not from somebody that we should emulate our life after. But for some reason, God, God pointed him to be the wisest man on the planet. So you need to, we're going to read Ecclesiastes. We're looking into Ecclesiastes today. And you're going to have to take your spiritual Prozac. Because I tell you, man, it, Ecclesiastes is a rough one. But it is, it is so important that we see it. There is a very specific reason in the Bible that why he, that was included in the canon. It is so important for us to get this lesson that whenever we face this hopelessness and this meaningless attitude, that we can get out of it. And Solomon, it doesn't look like he got out of it. And we need to ask the questions, why? Spurgeon says that, uh, well, we all know this, that, that the whole Bible's about Jesus. Have you ever heard this term that all roads lead to Rome? Uh, Spurgeon says that all, all roads in England lead to London. And so therefore, every line in the Bible leads to Jesus. So this is, this is the practical application when you read the word of God. You have to keep it into your mind that every single line that we read in the Old Testament, it's going to lead us to Jesus. And if it doesn't, you're reading it wrong. So we, the Ecclesiastes is tough because, well, let's, let's read the very first line. If I can get your Bibles out, Ecclesiastes, we'll just do one, chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, the words of the teacher, who is Solomon, son of David, king in Jerusalem. First words out of his mouth. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. All right, let's just stop right there. Everything is meaningless? Everything is meaningless? Do you know what that means? Okay, if we are to, I'm pushing you into the realm of, of, of reading the Bible in context. I'm pushing you in the realm of interpretation. If you are to take this scripture literally, if you do not read beyond the, these verses, if you don't finish the chapter, in fact, if you don't read Song of Songs and Proverbs, if you don't understand the life of this man, you're not going to get the fullness of what the Bible is teaching us. But if, you, if all you do is read this, and if you, are, if you crack the Bible when you're depressed and you read this, you're going to be in rough shape. So you just don't give up. So you're going to have to get some, look, you have to get some spiritual Prozac because this leads you to Jesus. But if you read it literally, what it, I mean, is if everything is utterly meaningless, guess what that means? That means that you are meaningless. Is that true? No, it's not true, is it? Because we're not meaningless. I mean, if, if, if everything is utterly meaningless, then Jesus, he wouldn't need to come. But he did come. And Jesus isn't meaningless either. He has purpose for us. He has meaning for us. He has destiny for us. He's out to shape our lives. So what does this all mean? All right, let's continue. 
All right, so we got that in your mind, all right? So that spirit of depression, you just cast it off right now, all right? Because we're going to get into this, and we're going to know what God wants us to, to know about Ecclesiastes. All right, he says, uh, what a man does from his labor at which he toils under the sun, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and is hurried back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they go, there they return again. All things are wearisome. That's nice. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ears its fill of hearing. Whatever has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered to by, to by those who follow. All right, so this is very, like, this is, a, this, is, this is one man's view on life. And frankly, we see this view in the church. Not our church, because our church is amazing. <laughs> so, but we will see this view in church. This is um, what Solomon is saying. He's saying, you know what? And he's the wisest guy that's ever lived, by the way. He asked for wisdom and knowledge, and God gave it to him. So his intellectual mind was at full capacity. Some think, I mean, we, what do we, what do we only use, what? Like, like 5% of our brains? So it's, it's speculated that Solomon had full use of his cognitive abilities. He knew everything about nature, about astronomy, about the human body, about finance. He controlled all the trade routes from, from Egypt to the Mesopotamia to the, all the Mediterranean trade routes. He knew finance. He knew trade. He knew everything. He was successful. I think he only got one war. It was a little skirmish. I mean, he, he, was, he had no problems in life. Everything was handed to him. He didn't have to work for what he got. You know, the, the extent of his labor was asking God for wisdom. He had so much silver that he didn't know what to do with it. He left it laying around the floor. <laughs> Could you imagine that? If you had so much, so many dollars that you, just, you, know, you didn't know what to, where to put them. They, they say that, um, they say, there they, they, they are again. Um, they say that if Bill Gates would spend the time to bend over and pick up a $100 bill, he would lose money. <laughs> so this is the type of wealth that Solomon had, unprecedented. And his view on life is pessimistic and fatalistic And we get this attitude drawn into our local churches. Why? Because we allow the hardships of life to dictate our theology. Specifically in the areas of fate. 
And well, fate, what does that mean? That means that, I mean, that you just have to accept your lot in life. Solomon talks about this a lot. The best thing that a man can do is to eat and to drink and to enjoy what menial job he has because that is his lot in life and he needs to accept it. It has, you ready for this? It has been predestined. That is his fate. Uh, no, I don't. God has a plan. God has a purpose for our life. But I, I don't know about you. I don't know about those other churches. But I have free will. I, God loves me so much, he allows me to choose him or reject him. But this isn't Solomon's theology. Solomon's theology is that everything has already happened. Everything's already been planned. God has predestined everything to happen the way that it is. Except your lot in life, you can't change a thing. And God doesn't care about you because God designed your life to be this miserable. So enjoy it. (laughs) That's the attitude. And it's not right. So how in the world does this point to Jesus? Now, when we are going over, when we've been going over the grand narrative of the story of God from the Old Testament, we can see the narrative. Actually, wow, we can see Jesus in the narrative. The whole redemptive process of of of, of people rebelling against God, people falling into slavery, uh, God coming in, rescuing them, paying the price, and then they live in prosperity, and then that whole cycle just repeats itself again. That's the gospel message. Because that's what Jesus does to us. He comes into our lives. He rescues us from slavery. He puts a new identity. His Holy Spirit puts his mark on our hearts. We're a marked people, and we live in blessing until we sin and blow it up. And we go through that whole process again. Jesus wants us to break out of that cycle, by the way. You don't have to live in this continual cycle of, you know, oh, God's so good, he blessed me, and then I backslide. Oh, God, save me. I, uh, I'm miserable. I'm broke. Everybody hates me. God, save me. He does. He jumps in, saves you, and then you backslide again. You know, God wants to break you out of that and move you into a better way. And Solomon never did it, even though he was given wisdom. So how does this line of meaningless point to Jesus? It points to Jesus in that it is a contrast. It is a major contrast. Because, no, your life is not meaningless. God did not create you for a meaningless existence. He created you for vision and for purpose and the fullness of life. If you compare what Jesus said to what Solomon said, what does Jesus say? I have come to give you life so that you may live it to the full. Streams of living water will flow through you. That's a a good thing. The whole Beatitudes is going to contradict everything that Solomon says. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed, it, it literally translates into happy. Happy are those that stick it out, push through, don't lose their faith. Those are the people that are going to be happy. You know what Solomon says? It's better that you, that you frown and live in the house of, of, the, of the dead. That's what he says. 
It's better that your heart is sad. Because Solomon says this, all wisdom just amplifies grief. The more knowledge you get, the more bummed out you're going to get. The more, the more wealth you get, the more complicated your life will be. So it's meaningless. So just stop trying. Get a nice dinner and a bottle of wine. That's as good as it's going to get. That's what he says. But we know that's not true. All right, let's continue. Well, first of all, let's figure out where he went wrong. Part of Solomon's story is, uh, is in Kings. This is where he goes wrong. Uh, this is 1 Kings chapter 11. Solomon, however, loved many foreign women because, uh, besides Pharaoh's daughter, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your heart after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. So who's he loving? Is he loving the Lord? Nope. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. That's, that's complicated. Um... Man, here, here we go. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. You probably might underline that. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. If you're not... 100% devoted to the Lord, that means you're not fully devoted to the Lord. That means you are acting like this guy. So God's a, God's a jealous God. He's, he's straight up forward with that. With that. He's going to say, I don't, I don't want to share you with other gods. I have a jealous spirit inside of me, and I want you all for myself. He followed Ashereth, the goddess of the Synodians. She was a sex goddess, a pleasure god. And Moloch, you guys remember who that guy is? He is Mars. He's the god of war. And if you wanted to be successful in your enterprises, if you wanted to be successful in battle, if you wanted, if you wanted to win in business, you have to sacrifice your kids. Uh... Quite literally, you had, to throw the, you had to throw your own children into the fire in order to get God, Moloch's favor. I think even sinners love their kids, for the most part. But every once in a while, we will see people sacrifice their kids for their career. That's the spirit of Moloch. Okay, maybe literally they're not throwing their children into the fire, but symbolically, they are. He is the detestable God of the Ammonites. 
So Solomon, ready for this? So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. And he also worships Chemosh, the detestable god of the Moabites. We learned about that guy too. He's really disgusting. Um, the wisest guy that's ever lived had his heart seduced by the things of this world. What, why? I mean, he, was, he had every material object and pleasure that you could possibly want or desire in the ancient world. Even for us moderns, if we lived under his standards, we would be, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is like Club Med. So even by our modern standards, his life was amazing. Yet his heart got hardened. And in the end, when he was old, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And are you ready for this? Uh, I will tell you this stuff. Other guys won't. Or other gals won't. Your Through the Bible radio guy's not going to tell you this. Uh, your line-by-line line guys aren't going to tell you this. I believe the Ecclesiastes, actually, and most people do believe this, by the way, was written when he was an old man. So Ecclesiastes was written either while or after he had done evil in the sight of the Lord. That's an interesting thought now, isn't it? So we have to interpret this. Now, I will say this. There are, inside of Ecclesiastes, there are proverbs. There's amazing proverbs, and there are truth. Actually, they, they reflect the teachings of Jesus. But the overarching theme of this book, he starts off with everything is meaningless. He ends with everything is meaningless. And you cannot believe him. Do not trust what he's teaching you. Trust Jesus. Don't trust what he's saying because he's a tainted, grumpy, disillusioned old man. He's an old king and he's given up on life. So don't trust him. Trust Jesus. Uh, Bill Johnson says um, that, that Jesus is perfect theology. He probably got it from Jack Hayford. Did you get it from Jack Hayford? You don't know. It sounds like something Jack Hayford would say. But Jesus is perfect theology. So when you run this through the filter of Jesus, once you have Jesus' heart inside of your heart, and you read something like this where it's like everything is meaningless, and then you begin to meditate on it, you begin to ponder it, you begin to get it inside of your heart, you realize, wow, you know what? <laughs> when you read... Song of Songs, a young, excited man that loves, that probably loves God and has a, has a, you know, he's in love with a young woman. He has a connection with a, love, a young woman and we get so much truth out of Song of Songs. It's amazing. And then we, that, was, that happened when he wrote that when he was a young man and he wrote Proverbs when he was middle-aged, mature, smart, not yet completely deceived by the enemy. We get so much wisdom out of Proverbs. It's incredible. The, the spiritual depth and insight how it can literally transform your life in Proverbs. And then in his older years, we get Ecclesiastes. And the contrast between Ecclesiastes, somebody that has lost connection with his first love, and Song of Songs with somebody that is completely in love 
is, is dynamic. And we have to see it. And we have to ask ourselves, why? How did this man lose his heart? How did this man get disconnected from love? He says, the best thing that you got is to eat and drink and be merry. There's very little, there's only one reference to saying, you just need to be happy with your wife. And that is saying, you need to be happy that, um, that your wife has stuck around for so long. That's, that's what it's really saying. For me, when I read this, it was a blaring omission. Because, I don't know, guys, what are, what's important for guys? You know, your work's important to you, right? Maybe, I don't know, hamburgers and food, that's important for you guys, right? But there's another major key element that guys usually think about a lot, and it's kind of important for us. Yeah, that's why we get married. And Solomon leaves that out in Ecclesiastes. He doesn't even mention intimacy with a woman or intimacy with the Lord. You know why? It's because he never had it to begin with. He had wisdom. He had revelation. He had divine revelation, but he never had intimacy with the Lord. He never had a relationship with Jesus. Now, I know what you're saying. Well, Jesus hasn't come around yet. Adam and Eve had relationship with Jesus because they walked with the Lord. They walked with the word in the coolest in the garden. Abraham had relationship with Jesus because he goes into covenant with this thing and then with this thing. He goes into covenant with Jesus. He goes into covenant with God and then he has communion with Melchizedek, the priest king of Jerusalem that is, that is a, the forerunner of Jesus himself. Moses spoke to God face to face as one speaks to a friend Moses had this glimpse of Jesus. When we read Psalms, it's like, what? Was, wait, did, was David in the New Testament or what's going on here? It's like David even had a New Testament revelation of what's going on. They all tapped into the angel of the Lord, Jesus, some type of Jesus that, that came through in Scripture, or maybe even a, a Jesus that came in the form of an angel, but they all, they all there's something about relationship. Revelation is amazing, but relationship is better. And we can derail ourselves spiritually this way too. So for some reason, we think that revelation of God is going to trump relationship with Jesus. And that's not true. Uh, Solomon was the ultimate man of revelation. He had everything revealed to him. He had nature itself revealed to him. Yet, he didn't have enough relationship to keep his heart soft, to keep him from being deceived. So you can't trust Solomon when he says everything is meaningless. But here's the lesson. He is right. He is 100% right if you don't have Jesus. So that part is 100% Bible truth. If you don't have Jesus... Everything is meaningless. Cars. It says that uh, Solomon had an entire city dedicated to his chariots. 
Translation, he had, a, he had like the Jay Leno car collection. Uh, Deuteronomy says that kings aren't allowed to marry foreign women and kings aren't allowed to trade nice cars with Egypt. It says it. It's Deuteronomy 17, I think. Test me on that. And it's exactly what he does. He trades cars with Egypt. He becomes a horse trader. But that's not quite fair. He becomes an exotic car trader. And even though he had it all, everything was meaningless in the end because he didn't know Jesus. When we know Jesus, everything becomes purpose. Everything becomes art. Everything moves from this fatalistic, depressing view of life to nothing is impossible with God. When Jesus is our theology, instead of saying, you know what, my life is so bad, it doesn't really matter, I'm going to eat these fries, I'm going to smoke these cigarettes, and I'm going to drink this keg, and I'm going to sleep with whoever I want because everything is meaningless, I'm going to die anyway. We go from that attitude to saying, Jesus is theology, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's the difference. You see, the reason why Ecclesiastes is in the Bible, it's not because the wisest man in the world needs to teach us something. The reason why Ecclesiastes is in the Bible is because it's a cautionary tale. It's the, it is the greatest cautionary tale that we can learn. If you don't have Jesus, your life is meaningless. I'm going to wrap it up there. All right, guys, come on up. Let's close this out. If I could have the ushers come to the front. And as, um, as they're on their way up, I want you to ponder and I want you to think about where you are at with the Lord. If you have, if, if you have a sense that life is meaningless, if you have a temptation to say, ah, who really cares? I'm gonna die, I might as well party. Like, if you have lost track of your purpose in life, like, if you're, if you're falling into the traps that Solomon fell into, where you're being seduced by the things of this world, either sexual pleasure, political... Is anybody seduced by political power right now? I don't think so. Um, forgive me, Lord. Um, is your career overtaking your love for your family? I know you're not throwing your kids into the fire, but are you putting them on the altar of your career? To so think about these things. Are you fully following the Lord, or you just got one foot in and one foot out? And maybe you don't even know them all together. Your, bow your heads, close your eyes. If you need Jesus in your life because you feel like your life is meaningless, just raise your hand. I'd love to say a prayer with you real quick. Awesome. Now, if you feel like you're not fully following the Lord and you want to move into a deeper relationship with Jesus, like you want to be all in, just raise your hand and we're just going to agree with you in prayer. God bless you. I see you there. God bless you. I see you there. God bless you. Heavenly Father, right now, I just pray that we would just break off the spirit of discouragement that 
that demonic evil spirit that says you might as well give up. So in the name of Jesus, where there is power in the name of Jesus, we say no more to that lie. And we just align ourselves with our identity and who you've created us to be and that we are a work in progress and that there is hope. There is hope beyond hope when Jesus reigns in our life. So God, right now, I pray that we will just attach ourselves to this beauty, God. I pray that Jesus will be our motivation, that we will be like the heroes of old, that the most important thing was to be in relationship with this mystery, to be in relationship with love, to be like David at the end of his days, to say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, may we say things like that at the end of our lives. Pray that you just bless this offering in your name, Jesus. Amen.